Welcome to Season 2 of Voices of Value, a conversation between Peter Kakos and Rick Rushton and their high-achieving guests from professional sport, Olympians, business leaders and ordinary people with value hacks to share through simple life lessons. If you're keen to reach your next level personally and professionally, sit back and join the conversation with your hosts, Rick and Peter. Welcome to Voices of Value, another episode with my good friend Rick Rushton, Peter Kakos here as co-hosts. And uh, Rick, I've got to say, in these turbulent and somewhat uncertain times that we're now in, well, you know, if you if you just spend too much time listening to the media, you just find that mind really racing, don't you? The anxiety sort of creeps in. There's a whole host of feelings, I guess, that a lot of people in the human race are going through right now. And um, and what a timely, timely moment we have. The next guest that's uh, that's joining us here on Voices of Value, because we're going to talk today a lot about adversity. And it's a great story, Rick. It's not just a survival story, but it's a it's a story of how to thrive in life and, and overcome that adversity. And I'm just so excited to uh, to welcome our next guest. And you're right, Pete. It's almost like it's a script for a Hollywood movie. If you actually went to the movies, you go, that just couldn't possibly happen. But in fact, Hollywood is considering making this into a movie. This is a story that's been really well documented. For those following us on YouTube, you'll see in front of you uh, a book by our next guest, authored beautifully, The Girl Who Lived, the story of Susan Berg, who really penned all of this through her results of going through adversity and challenges. So at the moment, Pete, we're seeing people queuing up to buy toilet rolls and thinking the world's ending. He's a young lady as a teenager whose biggest thing should have been, how do I sort of, you know, get through my next school term or next next whatever, I had to get through life without a lot of major support that we take for granted and without giving too much away because I think this will be best unrevealed, if you will, or revealed as we go through the interview, but it is with great thrill that we get to introduce to the microphone and to the video for those following us on YouTube, the beautiful Susan Berg. Susan, thank you for joining us on Voices of Value. Thank you for inviting me to share my story. Now, when you hear the story, you see the story and you know you hear an introduction like that, do you do you sort of pinch yourself and go, that is my story or do you are you very aware of it or is it almost like it's a third party to you now? What, what do you think when you think about your story? Um, Look, I, I guess for myself, I didn't um, start writing with the expectation that it would ever be published. Right. I started writing purely to get what was inside, all the pain, all the suffering, everything um, out for it to have somewhere else to live that wasn't inside me. And it was like putting the last piece of a jigsaw uh, into a jigsaw to just put it behind me and, and be able to then move forward. So at the same time, it is my life. It's all I know. Uh, every time I tell the story, you do relive it. Yes. So at times it can it can feel a bit raw sure. um, still. But so let's start at that pivotal moment in your life, twenty seventh of October, nineteen eighty five. You're mm. with your family in a boating expedition out in Port Phillip Bay with your father and your mother and your and your brother, and yeah. you're out there fishing. Let's just let our audience get a bit of a sense of where this story began for you. Mm. It was actually out in Western Port Bay. Oh, Western Port Bay, right. It might have been a little bit nicer if it was Port Phillip, <laughs> but unfortunately it was Western Port Bay. So we went out late in the afternoon, about four o'clock. It was only the second time that we'd taken the boat out. Uh, the first time that we took it, it had um, broken down and we had to get towed back to uh, back to shore. Dad took the boat back to the boat builder. Too, he was very unimpressed. He was not happy at all. <laughs> My father was someone that, being a doctor, uh, he was someone extremely responsible yep. and I would consider him to have been, what I might say, overprotective yep. uh, of his family and, and just people in general. Yep. Um, that is his role as a doctor is to care for people. Sure. Um, so he took the boat back to the boat builder who had done work on it um, before launching it the first time and said to him, fix it. And it came back a few weeks later. The boat builder said it was in A1 condition. Uh, we went out fishing for a while and um, then as it started, it started to get dark and Dad said, you know, okay, time to head back to land, asked if I wanted to drive the boat, which I jumped at the opportunity and uh, I jumped into the driver's seat and was rocketing over the wakes going full pelt. <laughs> and um, and suddenly the, the acceleration cut on the on the engine and 
know, Dad's saying, come on, Susan, pick it up, we've got to get back. And my brother turned around and yelled out that there was water in the boat and um, and he got a bucket and he, he started trying to bail it. And Mum was, um, was throwing life jackets at us to, you know, put over our heads, which we only had time to put over our heads, and the boat just went down. Wow. Like less than 30 seconds. That quick, wow. That quick. And um, as, it, you know, it was rising up, Dad said, jump out of the boat and flip it so that we could um, hold on to the hull of the boat. So we flipped it and we're now, you know, up to our necks in water, trying to hold on to the hull, doing up each other's life jackets. Uh, the waves had picked up by now and were sweeping us off the boat. So it was a real struggle to then come back, try and climb on again or at least get your fingers on the, you know, one inch that might have been there to, to cling on to. But it was now dark, no boats in sight. But before that there were boats around you because you knew that there was some activity but there was nothing at this stage, wasn't it? There nothing was now, like, no, yeah. no, everyone had. But you could hear birds flying over you, which seemed a little bit. Well, that strange. was further down. That was further down the track. Yeah. So, yep. um, we decided the best course of action was to swim towards land, yep. which was now just a silhouette in the distance. Because you're all well, your brother specifically was a very good swimmer, wasn't he? He was. Yes, yeah. he he actually had a private coach with um with his swimming. He yep. was he was yeah being trained up to be something special in the water. Um, we left the boat and started swimming but very soon after my dad got into difficulty he was really struggling so my brother went over to help him um mum actually said to him no bill i want you to keep going you need to keep going and he just said no dad needs my help so i said to mum to stay with me that if we swam together that you know we'd hopefully progress a bit quicker but i was just getting further and further ahead so eventually i said that i was going to leave them and go ahead for help yeah so I started swimming, if you can call it that, I was actually holding on to my life jacket because my life jacket, it was quite bulky in nature, not like the ones you have these days, and, um, and it was rising up and choking me. So I had to have my hands holding or pulling down my um, the life jacket from my neck and I was just kicking with my feet and progressing forward that way. Mum and I would yell out to each other every you know, a few minutes or 10 minutes or so and it was just, you know, are you okay, saucy? And it's like, yeah, mum, I'm okay. But after a while, I, I'm guessing about an hour or so, I hadn't, I realised I hadn't heard from her. And I yelled out and I turned around and it was so dark and just with the um, light from the moon, it's like it's it's like a torch where the light starts from you on the water and it kind of, yep. um, you know, goes outwards. But I couldn't see them with the waves of the darkness and I couldn't hear either. So I just yelled out that I was going to keep on going and, and for them to keep on going. Um, it was cold. It was bitterly cold. Um, I kept swimming and I, after a while, this is where the birds came in. Yep. And there were loads of them and they were just circling me and they were screeching so loudly and... I was terrified. Mm -hmm. I thought, well, why are there birds? You know, at this time of night they should be nesting. Um, and I was absolutely positive that they were circling me because they could see that I was about to be attacked by sharks and that they were going to come down and pick up the pieces that were left behind. Mm. And I knew that there were sharks in the area. My brother had just talked about it in the boat, you know, not long before it sank, mm. about how a diver had been out in that area and seen the biggest shark that he'd ever seen. So... Mm. Um, I was terrified. I was looking around. I was, you know, seeing if there was a fin <laughs> circling me. And then I realised that I just, I couldn't focus on that. I just had to keep going. Uh, so I just, I kept on swimming. I sang songs. I prayed. Um, so how far into the swim would we have been now? A couple of hours mm -hmm. into the swim, yeah. And it's still a silhouette in the Yeah, in distance. the distance, yeah. yeah. So I started... Um, did you have a sense of direction of which way you were going? Only because yeah. of the silhouette of the land. Right. So that that's all I saw. So I, I was just swimming to land, what yeah. the closest land that was around. Right. Um, and it, eventually the water became more shallow and I could feel um, something underneath me, which turned out to be mud. And it was mud that was too... Um, well, I don't know what you call it, too slimy, too thick, whatever, that I, I couldn't walk. I had and 
um, I would just sink down into the mm. mud. So in the end, I realized that my best way forward was to crawl. So I started on hands and knees and I crawled and I, I counted to a hundred with each, you know, um, movement forward. And then when I got to a hundred, I turned around and I put my back to the land with my legs outstretched and I used my hands to kind of push myself backwards and I did that counting to a hundred. So I rotated over and over with these two methods until eventually I got to what I thought was land but ended up being a sandbank. So I yelled out to mum and dad and Bill that if they could make it there that they could rest. Um, I could see that um, this the water was kind of going out and the sandbank I thought might disappear so I had to keep going. So I had to get back off the sandbank, crawl again, um, back into to water. I figured I possibly still had a few hundred metres to go. Um, and swam further and then came to thicker mud, which as I got closer to the land, which was like quicksand. Um, and it was swallowing me, literally. It ended yeah. up being up getting closer to my waist and I was hanging, you know, grabbing onto um, shrubs and sticks and whatever was sticking up through the, the mud just to try and pull myself through. Um, I, it was pretty clear to me that if I stopped fighting that I would mm. be totally um, swallowed. I did eventually get to harder ground and um, and then there was like this hedge in front of me and I had to put my hands up in front of my face to, to protect because the, the it was like razor blades just mm. pushing through. And then I got through this hedge and it was just like a clear path that just went left and right and it was not what I had expected. I, I thought that I'd got to the mainland and that there'd be people in the streets and houses and cars and shops and I looked, at, you know, in front of me and there was just nothing but swamps and trees and um, bushland. So I'd actually swum to a shore um, at French That's Island. Right. Yep. So for those who aren't aware of what French Island is, it's it's a former prison island that, you know, was, I guess, perfect for a prison because of the the surroundings. It would be hard for anyone to escape. Hard to get off, let alone to get on. Yeah, mm. it's just isolation. It is. It really is. So mm. I was lucky that within a couple of kilometres I found a house with someone that lived there. Only 60 people live on the island despite it being double the size of Phillip Island. Uh, and the person who lived there was a retired doctor and his wife. So he checked me over, made sure that I was physically okay, and then his wife put me in the shower while he went down to the mangroves and tried to yell out and see if he could see or hear anything of, of mum, dad and Bill. How long after the accident was that, Susan? We're now talking it's about 11 o'clock at night when I reached their house and the boat sank, I'd say, about 7, 7.30. Yeah. Um, so four hours or so later. And um, so I just hopped into the shower and I just cried. I just cried and cried. I just felt so guilty that I was in this beautiful warm water while they were out in this freezing cold sea. Mm. Um, and um, I was terrified. And rightly so. Mm. So 35 years and, and for those who, who are watching on YouTube, you'd, you'd see how you're vividly recounting the story. You're, you still live this. Oh, yes. Yeah. It's – um, I remember every detail as if it was yesterday. Mm. It, uh, it's, it's there. It's – you know, I can still mm. – feel the coldness there's plenty of detail I'm not telling you know ha- yeah, exactly. I haven't told because I could be here forever yeah. um but yeah but it's it's, it's amazing because uh, I know I hope it, hopefully our listeners are probably experiencing what Rick and I are at the moment we're, we're living this with you mm. and um it, it's an incredible story so unfortunately your mum and dad brother didn't survive no so let's go to that stage now mm. um and and particularly to that because I'm really looking forward to getting to the to the latter stages because there's some really empowering things that you've done and, and, and I know that, um, that you'll share with our listeners. But I'm, I'm, I'm interested in those, in those days, weeks, early months directly mm. after this and, 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 and the mindset around just losing your family like that. Talk to us about that. 
I blamed myself for my family's death. I was the person who'd been driving the boat at the time that it sank. Mm. I'd left my family to go ahead for help. I'd gone up in a helicopter straight afterwards to try and locate them and I failed. I survived and they didn't. Mm. So that whole thing made me, um, you know, I guess it's that survivor guilt that I just felt that it was all my fault. Mm. Um, So from there I went on a path of self-destruction. I had more deaths in the family. So my parents and my brother died that day. Two weeks later my grandmother died. Um, Within the 12 months um, my uncle died, my cousin drowned, two kittens and a goldfish. Mm. I felt that I had a jinx that Mm. everything I loved died. I was afraid of getting too close to people for fear of abandonment Mm. either by death or, you know, um, or by them turning their backs, which did happen a lot after the accident. People weren't sure how to deal with, you know, approaching me, speaking to me, and not just me but my sisters as well. Um, We all went through that and I think for some people it was easier to... Um, remove themselves from our lives than to be there and support. Mm. So, look, path of self-destruction, I, I, th- I also became a target, of you know, for predators, for men that um, could see that I was alone without uh, any support or guidance and decided to either abuse me or take me on a downward path. I um, started hitting nightclubs, taking party drugs, trying to do anything to numb the pain mm. um, and I I ended up being in a position where I despised myself, you know. I lost any kind of self-love which um, which we had been brought up with, with my parents that they were very much about loving who you are as a person and, you know, not following the crowd, having your own voice, being true to who you are. And um, and I totally lost all of that. Yeah. Which is easy to see why you got there. The circumstances created it. And then, as you say, it was a case of if I love someone, if I'm, you know, supported, even with your older siblings who weren't on the boat that day. But, mm. you know, clearly there's that thought of, you know, everything I touch turns to death. So therefore, um, and we get all of that. You were in some of the deepest, darkest places. Mm. And as I say, any one of the incidents that you reveal and so willingly and authentically share in your book would stop a mere mortal to have them back on, back on, back on, you know, one after the other. Mm. This is before you're even a, a legal citizen of of an adult age, i.e., you know, 15, 16, 17, doing all these things. Mm. What was it do you think that was the catalyst of you going, this is the path to destruction, um, here's the path I need to, you know, get back on if I'm going to really honour mum, if I'm really going to honour dad, if I'm really going to honour Bill, if I'm going to honour the family I was brought up in to, you know, not relive but to reinvent myself from it. What was the catalyst from that? It took decades for me to get to that point. Um, I actually didn't know the tools and how to get myself to that point. It took, you know, so long to finally get there. Um, So if we're jumping decades, it was... um, well, there's few, there were a few things along the way that I found happiness again. The first was the birth of my son. Yeah, I was going to say, so your son helps, mm. definitely. Yep. Um, I was pregnant at 19, had him at 20. Up until then I hadn't felt that I had a reason to live yep. and I didn't care whether I lived or died and my yep. attitude reflected that. Yeah. When he was born, it, um, it gave me a reason to live again. It <laughs> gave me a family to belong to again. It, it gave me love. Um, so I see that in your yeah, eyes. Again, yeah. anyone following us on YouTube oh will just goodness. see Susan light up like a Christmas tree. In fact, light, light up like a beacon. Yeah. Uh, keep going. So um, I'm I'm so grateful that that I've had him come, you know, into my life. They say that the children choose you. Is that right? Yeah. I, I'm so glad so. he, you know, he chose me. Mm. Um, 
That was the beginning of it. There were still difficulties though because his father was abusive. So I was in a domestic violent relationship which was um, difficult to get out out of because I had no no one to turn to, no Mm. one to go to. Um, in, in the end, I bolted in the middle of the night. Uh, it was another one of the episodes where he hit me and chased me around the house and I ended up running out the back door and over to the neighbour's place at, at, you know, midnight and called the police and, uh, and then I never went back. Um, but that was a, he, well, he wasn't just, physically abusive he was also financially abusive yeah. in that in the days after I'd come home from hospital from having my son he came into the room and woke me up um, and asked me to sign papers and I didn't have the opportunity to read them and they ended up being mortgage papers on an apartment that I'd bought with the inheritance that my parents had left me and he ended up spending every cent Um, basically, of the money against that apartment. Mm. And then when I left the relationship, um, I found out Mm. what what he had done and what it was and and he just wiped his hands of it and said, you know, basically, your problem. So it was difficult to get back on my feet. I now had to try and go through a legal battle of trying to get my property back. Uh, Thankfully, I only ended up with about a $25,000 debt because legal aid took on the fight for me and the bank had really messed up. Which bank? (laughs) Um, Because... They're not a a sponsor. It's okay. okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because they had never spoken to me, communicated with me, Um, my signature hadn't been witnessed. Um, There were so many wrongs to the way that they had... We put a mortgage out against the apartment that they ended up taking most of the debt themselves. But you still had to go through the fight to make that I happen. still had to go through the fight and the $25,000 debt that I ended up with was 5000 back to the bank and then 20000 in legal fees back to legal aid. Yeah. Mm. Um, so that, that was a struggle. But moving on from there, I guess the next um, – and it was a struggle being a single parent mm. – you know, being mother, father, disciplinarian, nurturer, you know, the f- person having to, um, you know, be financial and and I wasn't getting any child support. Um, and this is the early 90s, so it's not, not, yes, it's it was, not yeah. how it is today in terms of the structure of what's available and support that's there. And, mm. and even today we're still nowhere near where we need to be, but mm. you can imagine how far back we were behind the times in them days. But yeah. you... But you like everything in your whole story, if you get the chance to read this book, and again, we're talking with Susan Berg, author of The Girl Who's, Who Lived, and it's an amazing story. But in all these challenges, you just continually find a way to progress forward. Yeah. I think my next progression was getting into motorbike riding. <laughs> <laughs> so what a way to feel a sense of freedom. Bikey chick. Oh, love it. So um, I was introduced to motorbikes. Initially, I was seeing a guy and he had a motorbike, so I would be on the back of his bike. And I thought I was really courageous hopping on the back. <laughs> but after a while, I thought, I don't want to be sitting behind. I want to ride alongside. So I went out and got my license, got a bike, $600 from a garage sale. Um, and it was fabulous. It was such a sense of freedom being out on the bike. Um, you know, some people like yoga. Uh, for me, it was like yoga on two wheels. <laughs> yeah. And... <laughs> It gave me the opportunity to be out doing country roads, going through coastal towns, wind in my hair, not literally because I had a helmet on, but in my <laughs> face. and just, Really meditative, yeah? Yes, mm. it really is. And just having that opportunity to think, reflect, um, look at what life um, was to me and look at who I was and what I wanted to change and uh, I I really came to recognise that I didn't love myself, I didn't even like myself and mum had always said happiness is a choice 
we can choose whether we are a victim um, and live a miserable life or whether we look at the positive things in life and move forward. So with that in mind, I started looking at what was it that I needed to change within myself to become happy. And the changes were having self-respect, treating myself with kindness, forgiving myself for what had happened with my family dying, forgiving myself for all the terrible things I'd done to to me growing up, you know. Mm. I abused myself continuously. Um, So it was a matter of looking at myself, I guess, with kindness and starting to um, heal the the pain. Um, And that, you know, took plenty of time and it it was also a matter of establishing new friendships and it was a a friendship base and my son got involved with ice hockey and such a fabulous sport as well. But the people at ice hockey, for me, it was like a new beginning because they didn't know my history. Mm. They didn't know my past. They didn't know uh, They didn't know that I'd, you know, gone on a wild path of, of self-destruction and taken drugs and drinking too much alcohol and sleeping with countless men and my reputation. And it meant that I could rebuild a new reputation mm. and be who I wanted to be and be accepted for that person. And that was a real, um, it was really refreshing to be able to be seen by people in a nicer light that people looked at me with respect. Mm. Um, and, but I guess that was because I was starting to respect myself. Mm. Some great some great messages. And Absolutely. if you jump onto Susan Berg, S-U-S-A-N-B-E-R-G.com.au, we're getting some great insights into how to, to turn your life around, yes. and, and I love those um, that, that respect for yourself and the self, yep. which is great. And um, and and on your website, it actually says "reclaim your life" because it's that's exactly what mm. what you've well and truly done. But um, but you do do some motivational speaking and so forth, and, and we'll get to that. One thing I'm very um, interested in, and, and I've picked it up twice now of what you've said. You still recap some of the lessons from your parents. Yep. I think that's a beautiful thing that yep. that. You know, um, after all this time, they're still with you, no doubt, mm. no doubt. And um, mum's and you still are, coaching you. Happiness yeah, is a choice. That's it. And the, these lessons are still um, certainly running through your veins. That there, there's no doubt about it. So um, it, it's really amazing to listen to and just to see. You literally walk into this room, and there is just this beacon of light around you yeah you just and 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 again like i really in, in, encourage you to, to watch the youtube and, and just to see this and rick and i are very fortunate to be sitting here right now yeah. and this story and how many people do we walk past on a day-to-day basis and we don't actually know what story is behind because you would walk past you and you think you know what oh, look at her she's, she's attractive yep. she's yep. got it all going yep. on she's confident yep. she exudes you know just this this this, this feeling of um serenity around her and then to know the story behind so it's 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 amazing to look at your transformation of of where you were to where you are now and i just we wanted to get when we first met you and rick and i at gravia (laughs) media christmas party last year we were lucky enough very fortunate enough for good reason to be sitting on your table and to listen to your story and um before you even got you know too far in it, we said you're on the podcast. Yeah, right. <laughs> People need to hear this. People need to hear this. Yeah. Um, let's let's move to the water and mm. um, and and how that affected you, mm. and you know almost drowning, the family drowning, and, and so forth, and what effect that would have had on you. And then I want you to lead into what what you've just done now <laughs> and how you've mm. been able to turn things around because what you've done is truly remarkable for anyone, let alone someone who's um, had such tragedy in the water. Um, how long did it take you to get back into the water and um, did, you, did you lose love at any stage for um, it? Or? I avoided water for 30 years. Um, to me, I, it, it just brought too much, back too much fear, too much trauma. Um, to me, there was nothing nice about the water. Um, unfortunately, that also meant that my son grew up without going to the beach, without going to the pool, 
Um, we spent the time at the ice hockey rink, so that's possibly where we, you know, <laughs> got the air conditioning kind of thing happening on a hot day. But it's also, you know, uh, water ice hard, so you can feel like you could walk on it if you had to. So that's a probably good metaphor, isn't it? <laughs> well, um, yeah, I avoided water at all costs. Initially, straight after the accident, I didn't even like being in a bath. Mm. That um, being sur- just being surrounded mm. by it uh, freaked me out. I had school sports in the weeks following the accident and I got partway down the lap and got out. It was just like, no, I can't do this. And and from then it was just I avoided it. Uh, I was reintroduced though to it uh, four years ago and that was uh, through a gentleman who had read my book. So writing my book was as I mentioned earlier, being really able to put my past behind me and start to look to my future. And then meeting this gentleman, I guess, has has really put my life on a totally different path, one of those sliding doors moments, you know. And um, he had read the book and challenged me to face my fear of water and swim the Lawn Peter Pub, (laughs) which is a 1.2-kilometre swim in Lawn. And... um, Initially, you know, it's like, that's a great idea, you know, and he, he suggested that I use it as a way of raising money for domestic violence. And considering I'd been through that and I was passionate about helping others in, the, in those circumstances, I said yes immediately, but then got off the phone and thought, what the f- <laughs> have I just <laughs> done? Like, um, and then I kind of went on a bit of a um, freak out thing um, I would receive emails, how's your training going? And it's like, oh, I haven't gone out and bought bathers yet because uh, I had no bathers, I had no goggles, you know, I had nothing that, that mm. was involved with water. Anyway, I did realise that he was going to keep checking in on me. and um, Accountability partner. There we go. Yes. So I – and I had given my word. So I went out and I bought bathers and I hopped in the pool and I hated it. I hated every single minute of it. Um, it had been recommended that I try and do 30 laps. I did two freestyle, freaked out, um, had a meltdown. I continued. I did 30 laps but only two freestyle. The rest were side stroke, back stroke, freestyle, uh, um, uh, breaststroke, anything that didn't involve my, my head or face being in water. And um, this continued for, you know, a few months and I just wasn't getting anywhere. If I did a lap of freestyle, I'd be at the end of a 25-metre pool having to have four minutes before I could then do another lap. Mm. And in the end I went to my doctor and I asked her if I could take Valium before I swam, which I thought was a really fabulous idea. (laughs) Like, you know, what better way to kind of calm the nerves? (laughs) Maybe not a recommendation. Probably not on the elite swimming sort of uh, scenario. Keep, keep going. She did actually say that as well, that yeah. it possibly wasn't a very good idea. No, possibly. Possibly. And uh, she just said that I either needed to do hypnosis or just persevere. So it was then that my friend said, well, you need to at some stage get out in the bay because this is an open water swim that you're doing. Yep. And... So I I looked online and found a group that swam down at Half Moon Bay in um, in Mm. Black Rock and I went down there at a time that I knew that they were starting, spoke to the guy that led the the group of swimmers and I gave him a little bit of background because I felt it was only fair that he knew what he would be dealing with and was it safe for me to kind of join this group and I told him what my challenge was and why it, it, it was difficult for me and he just said to me, I'm a coach, I will take on your training free of charge and I will have you ready in time for you to do the peer-to-pub. How cool is that? Mm. Isn't that fabulous? So, so Especially cool. in your life where you've had to self-manage, self-counsel, self-everything and mm. now you're finding two people, one who's challenging you mm. And then the other person says, and I'll help you with that challenge. Yeah. Because now we're seeing for the first time your ability to see the love you have with your son and, you know, understanding that maybe it wasn't all up to you. Maybe there was some other people who could help you through it. And mm. yeah, as Pete's alluding to, and as I know you're going to get to, that 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 swim must have been, I, I just can't get my head around it's a lot, it. I've done the Peter Pub because yeah. athlete like Susan yeah, myself, athletes. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, uh, I haven't done it because uh, I, I swim <laughs> like a brick, yeah. um, as everyone knows. My coach yeah. can help you Rick, with that. When you said 30 laps of the pool, Rick was thinking it was his 10 
meter pool. Yeah, yeah. At home. yeah. yeah. No, I'm actually <laughs> just thinking. Yeah, I I get tired walking that. <laughs> but it is. It's 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 really um, the Peter Pub is such an amazing event, mm. and because it's uh, a bit different to the than those in Victoria will know this, but the Portsy is sort of you're doing a round, you swim out, down, back, yep. around. But Peter Pub, you've literally spent it one long distance. So mm. when you look at it from the pier to the beach, you're like. I just went that far. It actually, it actually looked more, more like five k's, doesn't it? It's yes, just a it, long, it is a long. One point two k in the water is a long way. Yeah, mm. Mm. just keep going. Mm. Um, so it took another twelve months with my coach, and um, there you go. And there it was. I it, twelve months later, I'm in the water, treading water, waiting for the gun to go off, and um, it was really confronting. And so take us through that thinking. What was that? So did you have flashbacks? Did you what, yeah. how did you prepare yourself for it? For that actual day? Yeah. It was a full on day actually. I didn't sleep at all the night before. Were you at the, were you at the lawn pub or Well, no. no See, okay. this is the thing, right? <laughs> I you, changed, is that, was that your pre race routine? What pre-race day. Got it. Yeah. See, I changed my training regime. I didn't drink much the night before. There's your problem. Silly me. So if you <laughs> had a I bottle was, of wine. I would have been you fine. You would have been fine. Exactly. But because I knew, you know, you have to be up early, you've got to do this this, this swim, I thought I better only have one glass of wine. So you're treading water <laughs> in the water. You're treading water. I'm treading water. Um, I'm feeling nervous. I'm feeling um, anxiety. Uh, I knew that the um, film cameras were on me as well because they, Channel 7 and SBS Insight were there following the story and I think that added extra pressure knowing that, that they were there. But as soon as the gun went off, it, it, I did. I felt, I felt anxious for most of the time. I also felt though that mum and dad and Bill were there with me Good and that they, um, they were cheering me on. Good you know? for you. Mm. So... It's really cool. So you're stroking yeah. away, really cool. knowing that that was the the. Yeah. You have a coach in one ear, you've got a, a challenger in the other ear, but you got your family in your heart as you yeah. as you as you you know striding along, which is I think is bloody one amazing. One stroke yeah. at a time. One stroke at a time. Mm. It's pretty much how it rock and rolls, isn't yeah. it? Which is mm. interesting. But those fears, anxiety, that'd be right for anyone just about to do the race mm. to do it, knowing your history is uh, just a, a testament to you. But, you know, you're one of the most strongest individuals we've had the great fortune of interviewing, clearly mentally strong as well as physically strong to sort of do do the race. So you take the lear- learnings from that and your lessons from that and let's just get through some more of the happier times in your life now, mm. you know, uh, without mentioning number one son and dogs and all the fun stuff that you've mm. got. Give us, a, give us a bit of an insight into, you know, your progression through from, you know, as you say, three decades of challenges, then getting mm. into some of the good stuff. Talk us through that. So from finishing the Lawn Peter Pub, I was then given my next challenge only weeks later, which was to swim the Rip Swim. And uh, that's across the heads from Point Nepean to Point Lonsdale. How far is that? That's about 3.4 kilometres. Yeah. And tough water. Yeah. It's, a re- it's right. one of – it's a really challenging swim. I mean yeah. it's, it's claimed many lives and sunk many ships. Yeah. And uh, so that was, that was quite a challenge. The Grant Seedley, who runs the program, is very um, uh, up in, in relation to safety and, yeah. and everything. So he made sure, knowing that I was relatively new to swimming, that I was put with a group of fabulous men who basically chaperoned me across. I was the slowest swimmer. They basically took care of me and made sure that I was okay to get to the other end. So um, that was amazing, just the crossing itself, the swimming itself, but getting there and just looking back and thinking, wow, look how far, look how far I've swum. Mm. But then also realising how far I'd come within yeah. myself with, with the healing. So that was fabulous. And in the weeks after that, I would still get up at, at five o'clock every morning or five thirty, whatever it was, and get up and swim in the bay, regardless of whether it was summer, autumn, winter, or spring. And, um, it got to the point I thought, well, why am I? I've, I've completed the challenge. I've done what I set out to do. Do I still get up every morning and swim? And I had to really look at what I wanted to do. And I realised that I'm really motivated by being challenged. And when you step outside of your comfort zone is when you grow. It's when you really, you know, grow as a person. You know, we don't become resilient when life's easy. We become resilient when we when we face new challenges. So then I um 
I decided to set a new challenge of swimming the English Channel in a four-person relay. (laughs) So I put out the feelers to the group of swimmers that I was with, who wants to come with me on this journey? So distance for those uh, unaware? The English Channel is about 34 kilometres straight line, Mm -hmm. but because you can't swim a straight line with the currents and et cetera, it's about, you can do it up to about 50 kilometres. So... Wow. In teams of? Well, this was a team of four. Okay. Mm. So my cousin... Uh, he joined us yeah. and my friend Sue, who I've swum alongside for the last three years, herself and her daughter Georgia. So we were the team and it was 12 months of training and getting out in the bay every morning and and then squat in the evenings closer to the time. And we achieved that in August 2018. Wow. In 11 hours and 57 minutes. And... As it happened, um, so you literally each one each one of you swam for about three hours. Is that is that about how it worked? Or you are put into an order, uh, and you swim an hour each, and it's an hour on the dot. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So you're on the boat, and you have an official on the boat that makes sure that you stick to the rules and regulations. And boy, are they strict on it! It's literally they count down to the second that the next person hops into the water. And that person treads water until the swimmer before gets up onto the boat. And then once they're on the boat, then they start their hour. Mm. And so we did that rotation crossing over and uh, conditions weren't ideal. No, what's the water temperature there in About the About 17 degrees. Yeah, in comparison to when you're swimming down at, um, you know, Black Rock. Well, that depends on the Time season. The year, yeah. Yes. Uh, it was better than what we'd been in because it had been winter that it – it had been down to about nine degrees yeah, in, right. in Melbourne, <laughs> yep. and we swim without wetsuits. Oh, so, so no buoyancy. Uh, no, no, you're not. I'm not allowed to have buoyancy. You're not allowed no. um, wetsuits in the English Channel. It is simply a pair of bathers, a pair of goggles, and one swim cap. Are you allowed oil? Like, are you allowed to? You you're allowed to put grease on. Grease on, yeah. Which really, the grease is more about helping with chafing. Yeah. You know, your bathers chafing or under your armpits. Yeah. Uh, that it's it's more that than giving shark any repellent? kind of protection. Yeah. Shark repellent. Yeah. It, it, just on a side note, are you impressed I even knew that? Being that I swim about like about a the grease. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I called it oil. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> Where do you get this? Uh, from? Well, I don't know. It just comes <laughs> to me. But you you got that, child. I mean, I'm just I'm sitting here just shaking my head, thinking it'll be just. Why would you do that? It's uh, as you say to just challenge yourself, get absolutely a little bit further along. So. Absolutely, and, and it's all it's all part of your journey of healing. Of course, okay. And so the book was a big part of that. And again, we yes. want to plug the book, The Girl Who Lived by Susan Berg, and it's available effectively. It is a great read and you can get it on Kindle. Um, you can effectively get it in all good bookstores. And It's yeah. actually mainly sold out in on, bookstores at the moment. Yeah, so it's so online. Amazon's the best. Yeah. Um, there is being an update. Um, I am back to writing because the swimming part of the journey isn't in the book. It's an addition to this, yeah, exactly. That's correct. And it's also available on susanberg.com.au. They can go online to your website and yes. order it through there as yeah. well. So I want to jump ahead because some wonderful swimming stories and get to the last swimming story mm. of, of the most recent swimming yes. story as well, which is because uh, you've gone from a 1.2 uh, por- uh, lawn swim to a 3.4 rip swim to a, um, I'd say you roughly swam about 12K yeah. of the English Channel. Tell us your most recent one. This so is it was exciting. just, it was only a few weeks ago actually. I swam Rottnest, um, which is from Cottesloe Beach in Perth to Rottnest Island. It's 19.7Ks, you know, straight swim, so over 20Ks uh, altogether. And um, the odd shark. Ah, yes, they're well known for sharks over there. just not last year but the year before the the race, a lot of people were pulled out. Their race was over because a shark decided to join in the fun. <laughs> um, Didn't register? <laughs> <laughs> no bib number, no tattoo number. <laughs> <laughs> but he could swim oh faster God. than everyone, right? <laughs> I wasn't, um, I, funnily enough, I wasn't concerned about the sharks. No. I think that I've come so far in my journey with the healing and, and the fear that I just really enjoyed the swim. Mm. So I was with my girlfriend Sue. We she did a, we both did solos, but we did what was called a tandem solo, which means that you have one boat between you. There has to be a boat in case you know you have to get out for yep. certain reasons. Yeah. 
and then you both have your own paddler. So you have to stay within 20 metres of each other at all times. And um, and we did the journey together. So it was great. We stop in, in your feed every half hour. Well, what, do you, what, is, what does that look like? Your feeds? Or tastes like. Okay. Well, <laughs> what are you, how are you getting your energy? Yeah. Just it, a, a mystique grilled. Um, no. <laughs> what, what, what are you doing? <laughs> Sucking in protein. What I was having, and it's, it's you get fed by your paddler. Mind you, you're not allowed to touch anything. You're not allowed to touch your paddler. You're not allowed to touch your boat. So you're just floating in the water. Yeah. She can hand you your food kind right. of thing, but you're not allowed to. Like you're a seal. <laughs> uh, so the things I I um, was uh, getting my energy from was like the Milo kind of custard yes. things. Oh, yeah. Um, One of our sponsors. Thank you, Milo. <laughs> Thank you, Milo. Um, peaches. I vitamized up peaches. So it was just in a thing that you just um, yeah. drink it down. Um, at one stage I tried pikelets with jam. They'd sit on the stomach a little bit, wouldn't they? Soup. Or? Yeah. Well, it it, mm, it Look, just wasn't I, so nice. Uh, when I did right now, that's, that's what I found. I found I probably didn't get oh, the that's full. Oh, so funny. No, keep going. How dare we interrupt this? Keep going. Hot soup. I had soup. The one thing I had every single time, it was the first thing I did, was wash my mouth out with um, Listerine. Right. Because oh, of the salt water. Salt, yes. The salt yeah. water, the tongue. If if I didn't do that, uh, your tongue would be ripped to shreds with yeah. the salt water. Yeah. So it was Listerine. So how, how long is a swim? Just get an idea and then 20, how long are you stopping? 20, how 20 often? Ks. No, no, so oh, time-wise. Time oh, wise, we yeah. did it in nine hours and 55 minutes. Okay. And you'd stop how, how often? Every for, half an hour. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. But by the end I was I didn't want Keeping any more well food. Yeah. yeah. I just wanted wine or, you know. <laughs> So I'm getting a the sense salt there's, there's a consistent <laughs> theme here. I could be wrong. It's fruity. It's grapey. It's kind of. I ended up with a Corona instead at the other ah, end. Yeah. Okay, not the uh, you know not the bad one. The good stuff. The good stuff. The good stuff. Mm. Yes, mm. keep buying it. It's 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 yeah. good. Yeah. Um, getting to the other end was fantastic. You know, but my coach had rung me the day before um, and said that you're going to have difficulties throughout this swim. You'll have times where you might go into a, a negative headspace and feel like your, your body's tired, you, you just can't go on. And he said, but just persevere because you will get through those difficult times. Um, and it's funny because I've been through those difficult times in life. Mm. For some reason, I didn't go through them during that swim. Throughout the whole swim, I felt like I can do this. Yep. I've got this. 10K mark, yep, I can do it again. 15K mark, yep, we've got this. You know, at the 19K mark where your boat leaves you and says goodbye and it's like, yeah, now we're in for that last K. We've, we've really got this. And Sue and I at the end were, you know, just swimming side by side and um, is Sue, Sue like-minded? Just to get a bit of a picture of she's Sue. She's crazy like me, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, what, that's yeah. sort of what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, just checking. Sue, get it, Sue on next week. Sue's next week. Uh, <laughs> Sue's brought to us effectively by um, Penfolds. Um, <laughs> <laughs> keep going because I'm, I'm curious, in that last climate, so you know, mm, like we you, know. you've got the momentum, you, yeah. you know, everything in your in your whole preparation has prepared you for this moment. Yeah. Are you hearing the theme to Chariots of Fire or are you hearing <gasps> the theme to – Oh, my gosh, I can't believe you said that. That was my father's favourite song, the music, movie. Some would say that's an influence of, uh, you know, conspiring from the universe providing and I would agree. That that's is what the it is. only movie he ever saw tw- ever saw twice but that I can't believe you just said that. Um, well, I was going to say either the theme to Chariots of Fire or the theme to Jaws. Which one are you hearing oh my at gosh. this stage? Yeah. <laughs> well, funny you say Jaws as well because <laughs> as we were coming in in those last few hundred metres, we did – Swim over something grey that was about that long and we stopped and we I'm looked out. at each other and we went, what was that? I'm out at this stage. That's oh, me yeah. done. And you still don't know what it is? Well, I, I, I do was, wonder was whether it was, was a small a one, but I wasn't bothered by it. A small it was, one. It was, I don't care if it's small, big. I don't care. Mm. That would be me, me done. I'm See, out. If, if, See you later. If the teeth are one inch or yeah. two inches, it doesn't it's, matter. It's still sharp. I'm not, I'm not comfortable with any of this where this is going. Uh, there is an app um, in Perth, a shark app, that shows yeah. where sharks are, and there was one um, a bigger shark <laughs> than that. So now, you know who told me about this? At Rottnest Island that morning. This is now that's, where I start to That's question. from the Surf Lifesaving, isn't it? The Shark App, isn't it? Or something. I think it's like that. Bianca told me about that yeah, when that she right? was over there at uh, 
Daddy Bar- and she was fascinated by it because you'd get the shark out mm. and you see a shark and then all of a sudden swarms of people would go to the beach <laughs> to try and see it. <laughs> right. Well, this, this was at um, about 6 o'clock in the morning at ro- around Rottnest Island, but it was it was a bigger shark, the kind that would make you swim real fast. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, we only saw what, something that I can't say it was a shark. It just looked like yeah, one. But it was great. But it was great. You mm-hmm. as you swim. So you get to the other For end. For the sake of this story, it was a shark. It was a bloody big one. It was mm. so fabulous to get to the point where you go, we can stand up yeah. now, and it was just joy. There's my coach there yeah. clapping me on. My friends who have also been there swimming, who I train with, you know, week in, week out. Yeah. They're all there. Um, and I'm there with Sue. Sue was an absolute Sue. champion. She I'm, had I'm had really liking Sue. Sue is <laughs> pinfolds all over. She is what we'd love. She we- really – she had um, – Issues with her shoulders throughout the swim. So hung she hung in there. Oh my God. She was an absolute legend. Yeah. Even though that the shoulder pain started from the 4K mark, yeah. she completed the swim. She never gave up. She just kept on going. That's what we love. Um, Good on you, Sue. Sue yes. You're a champion. We <laughs> love you. Um, just uh, some, of, some of our listeners and viewers might be thinking coaching, you know, the accountability of getting you to do it was really, you know, almost, you said earlier writing the book was very cathartic for you mm, and, and mm. then having the coaching was really good. Did you have any professional help going back when you were in your teenage years, a teenage mum, a single mum in a violence, a relationship fleeing? Did you have any counselling, any um, professional help in any shape or form? Because I know economically you weren't, that wasn't available to you. Um, I haven't got any good news so much on that in that not long after the accident, um, I was sent to see a counsellor. Yeah. And I saw him a few times and I spoke to him about how I was struggling and how I didn't feel that I fitted in with where I was living and I just wanted to go home. And um, I was struggling living with, with my guardians. You know, it's difficult Absolutely. having people who aren't your family telling you what to do. And I, I would have been very difficult to live with. Uh, and this um, psychologist said to me that next visit I went to, he wanted me to come along with my guardians and that because there'd be three of us in that session, he'd be charging me double. Mm. And that to me was just I felt that he was more interested in the money than he was yep. in in my welfare. Yep. And so I stopped going to him. I was then sent to a woman but by then I'd kind of lost any faith in divulging or, you know, um, my innermost feelings that with her I was really superficial. I spoke about nightclubs and boys and stuff that was of no consequence. I didn't speak about mum and dad and the grief and, and the torture that I felt inside. And she got frustrated with me and started trying to, I think, I think what she was trying to do was make me so angry that I'd explode and just let it all out. Yeah. But that didn't happen. No. I just got angrier and angrier until I thought, stuff this, you can't help me, I'm out. Yeah. And so I just stopped going to any kind of counselling and um, and I didn't know the tools. And, and, you know, I look back now and I wish I'd had the tools back then to, you know, I wish I knew then what I know now. Exactly. So now someone listening to this is going mm. through some challenge. I guess your mm. message would be keep going, persevere because mm. you, you've done that over three decades. You got mm. to a point where you saw the light at the end of the tunnel and it wasn't linked to an oncoming express train. It was about to whack you again. It was sort of, you know, an area where you could get to. What advice would you give to someone listening to this program right now who's going through a challenging time? Clearly not to the extent that you've gone mm. through. Maybe, who knows, as Pete said earlier, we don't know what What's going on in people's worlds, but if you could have the ear of someone right now and say, "Here's two or three things I, I just implore you to do," is uh, you know, with your own self counselling, your own self healing, yeah. if you will, what would they what would they be for you? I think first off is give yourself permission to grieve. Uh, we all need to grieve. We all need to express our emotions and let it out. We can't just build it up and bottle it up, uh, or else we don't recover. So first is give yourself time to grieve then also give yourself permission to be happy again, that it's okay, you're not, you know, if you've lost someone, you're, whether that be, you know, for me it was my parents and my brother, but whether it be that or a partner or a, a child, you're not, um, you're, to honour them I think you need to find happiness again. Yeah. They would want that for you. 
they no longer have a life to live, at least go ahead and live the best one that you can yourself. Mm, so I think that from there it's it's things such as being kind. It's your thoughts. It's having positive thoughts. Instead of focusing on negative, you need to focus on positive things in life. You know, wake up every morning and think of three things that, that you're grateful for. Um, surround yourself with beautiful people. And, of course, I'm not talking about their looks. I'm talking about <laughs> people who have really good, beautiful hearts yep. and who want the best for you. Um, and challenge yourself. Give yourself new things to do. You know, it's, as I said before, stepping outside of your comfort zone is where you grow and it's also where you find your strength and and and, and self-pride and, you know, so, Susan, you run workshops on this now? Yes. So I think um, – and it's interesting, you are filling the void of what you had way back then of, of not having the tools, mm. not having the person and, well, you're going to provide some incredible um, – uh, I think know, resources, really. Yeah, that's, that, yeah, great way to put it. The resource that you are going to provide for those um, in need and, and for those who are reaching out and sometimes you don't know where to go. You know, you, the best friend is Google, and you just try try your luck. And mm. but hopefully, what we've been able to do is 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 for our listeners is provide a resource should they need. But just to listen to your story and the resilience um, and the overcoming of adversity, and and just to see you come out the other side, this beautiful glowing person um, with the with the best heart and the most I know kindness just oozes just being around you and 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 Rick and I made the decision and, and those our, our listeners regular listeners will know this that we made the decision to start voices of value because we wanted to surround ourselves more with um with great people and it's uh, it's a real privilege to be able to do that on a on a week-to-week basis and it's no different here today this has been one of the most incredible inspiring exhilarating stories I myself personally have just gone through a wave of emotions listening to you speak today. I've been there with you. Um, I felt like I was with you on your shoulder the whole way through that, the way you recount, uh, you've recounted um, very generously and, and and we've probably taken you to places it's probably hard to sort of go back to, but you do it um, with such dignity and such pride knowing that and, and such happiness now of what you've been able to achieve um, through times that I, I could only uh, imagine what you would have gone through and um, it's quite incredible now to sit here, listen to the story but but importantly know that there's people like you in this world brings a massive smile to my face because people, the world needs people like you, um, someone who they can um, resonate with and you don't have to have, as Rick, you said before, Rick, you don't have to have gone through what you've gone through but there's key messages mm. in elements of, of one's life that where you've dealt with that, adversity where you've dealt with, with with such turbulence whatever it may be but there is a way out and, and the best way out is, is is I love to forgive yourself um, but you've got to surround yourself with great people you are one of those great people and I really in, encourage um, anyone who is struggling or, or going through and looking for to somewhere to turn that potentially that, that needs some answers or needs someone to, to listen to I think you you would well and truly be that person Susan Thank and you. the girl who lived is available uh, a- absolutely on Amazon. You can get it there, and there's no doubt about that. You might be lucky to score it in a bookstore, but you're best to probably reach out to Susan Direct at susanberg.com.au. Get a copy of the book there. We are excited to say that we may have a movie coming on this, which is going to be bloody amazing if that happens. But even if it doesn't, we feel like we're sitting front row at an Oscar-winning performance right here, right now, because <laughs> we've on. had the real person yeah, in front of us. This circumstance, when she was a 15-year-old girl way back in 1985, has not defined her, but it's given her absolute resilience over to the position where in her life she now understands what she really values and the fact that she lost her mother and her father and her brother that day she lost them physically but she carries them with her every day in her heart and her mind and her spirit and as she's swimming and she's doing it for them I'm pretty sure they're looking down right now saying how proud they are of you and I know your son is someone who gives you an amazing um, you know reason to live and you know, we, won't, we didn't even get into that you are the Betty White of bloody dogs and you love them and all that sort of stuff we didn't <laughs> even get into that but, uh, but I think it's really 
important to just acknowledge if you are listening to this, watching this, and you don't share this with your networks, you're someone who hasn't really got the message of what this is all about today because for Susan to get through what she had to get through, in the end, ultimately, she self-served herself, but she also did it with help from others. There's no successful hermits. We need other people to help us get going, whether it be from the doctor and the wife who, first of all, got her out of the water, got her out of hypothermia and got her going, and whether it be a, a coach who says, I'm going to keep you accountable to this swim, whether it be her son who says, you've got to be the best mum for me going forward, whether it be the dogs in her life who say, I, you know, I can't really survive without you. This is a lady who understands we're codependent, we need each other's help, she's gone through some adversity, she knows the way through and she can share it with you. If you don't do one of her workshops, shame on you. If you think her lifestyle is going to get affected with you by one of, a copy of her book or not you've got to have rocks in your head her lifestyle won't get affected yours might because she can give you some tips and strategies that can really help you along the way it has been an absolute honor and privilege to be in the presence of susan berg again susanberg.com.au susan thank you so much for sharing so givingly um you light up a room the minute you come in uh, a lot of people light up the room they leave it don't they Pete? They, they, we interview but uh, we also have to thank the beautiful the talented and the amazing uh vivian ryan from gravia media who again supplies us with Another opportunity to sit at a, uh, a table. She said, you need to connect with this lady over here. And I, I won't say too much, but you need to connect. And Pete <laughs> and I did. And uh, as soon as he told me, because I think you connect with Pete first, which is, that's what he does. He just jumps in there. <laughs> I'm into giving, not just sort of taking. He's a taker. <laughs> but um, but when, when he said, you should hear a story. And then I had a chat to you, I went, uh, yep, we've really got to share this story with wider people. But you are a fine example of how uh, coming out with a an open heart, an open mind and a giving uh, attitude of gratitude that life will make space for you. So on behalf of everybody who's been watching and listening, this has been Rick Rushton with Peter Kakos and the amazing, the talented, the wonderful Susan Berg saying thank you so much for the gift of your time this week. Like it, rate it, share it. Most importantly, get in touch with Susan Direct. Let her know if this had an impact on you. And uh, we'll be back next week. Hard to top them. We often say it. I don't we'll know do where we after that. We'll do our but, best. Uh, I think we had Everest today, so I don't mm. know where we go after that, but we'll do our very best. Susan, thank you so thank much. Thank you, Susan. Thank you. Thanks. We trust you enjoyed listening to Voices of Value, a shared conversation between Rick Rushton, Peter Kakos, and their valued guests. Their views are not necessarily those of the wider world, but they should be. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify or your preferred podcast source and we love to hear both your feedback and ratings on the content we provide. Additional information can be sourced through our website, voicesofvaluepodcast.com. Join the conversation again next week when Peter and Rick continue the search for truth, justice and the value-added way.